0: Brothers and sisters, and welcome back to the Religion and Horror series. And we are finishing up the Exorcism miniseries today with The Conjuring from 2013. Cannot believe it's been a decade. Um, directed, of course, by James Wan. And I am joined this evening by first time guest Logan from Ghoulish University. Welcome, Logan.
1: Hello, Nicole. And special guest Annabelle. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. If you're a, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can see Annabelle. If not, get on there so you can see her. Um, yes. So before we get into all the things, like tell people a little bit about your podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, so I have a podcast, Ghoulish um, University. Uh, right now, we mainly well, we only cover episodes of Tales from the Crypt. We're going through. Each, each and every single, um, episode. And we, we watch them. I say we, I have, well, I had two other co-hosts. One of them, unfortunately, is no longer with us. He's not dead, but he's just not on the podcast anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, my other co-host Naderade, um, he, uh, we, we usually will bring on a guest and we'll just talk about episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Um, but once we run out of Tales from the Crypt episodes, we're definitely going to dip our toes into more anthology horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited to get into like Masters of Horror yes. and Cabinet of Curiosities and I may even look into some Twilight Zone based on <gasps> some things. I know. I, oh. I've heard some really good things. So yeah, I'm, the, the possibilities are endless with, with Foolish University, but right now we are... At home, home homeroom with uh, Tales from the Crypt.
0: Oh, I love that so much because I am a sucker for anthologies. I mean, I love anthology films, but like horror anthology shows are so great. And like what I think is really fun about them is there's a lot of really like great content like Twilight Zone, like you mentioned. And there is just like trash content. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, have you ever heard of the show from the 90s called Monsters?
1: Um. I, I think so I feel like either you mentioned it or I do believe um, maybe even our friend G-Baby has mentioned it but okay. yeah. um, I've heard of it vaguely I don't know a whole lot though
0: it's it's a similar tone to like the Tales from the Dark Side show like they're very similar mm-hmm. in quality where like some episodes are great but just a lot of trash that would be really fun to talk about so yes. I'm excited for the current and future state of Ghoulish University that's very exciting oh come on anytime you just let me know
1: Oh yeah, we we've already got you slated. <laughs> Woo!
0: Um, so Logan and I know each other from Straight Chilling, which listeners you've heard that a million times. Straight Chilling is the great bringer together of weirdos and spooky people, and so um, Logan showed up on the Straight Chilling Slack channel, um, kind of I think early on as one of one of the, my first like horror sisters, I would say. Yes, I was kind of the only woman for a while. Not the only one, but just one of few. And, like, Jacqueline and you have been, like, very consistent on there. And so we've gotten to be very close. And, like, I love it. Like, I love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I do remember it was, like, you and Jacqueline were, like, the only two other girls. I joined, like, spring 2020. So, like, 21, 21. Coming out of the panini, (laughs) they would say. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, so it's been just like really fun to to chat horror and logan also is like a little bit of a horror virgin like she's she hasn't been into <laughs> horror for a long time so that's been really fun to kind of like help you find your way and like yeah. hear, hear <laughs> about stuff with like your fresh eyes and sometimes we all have like wtf moments where we're like what you haven't seen that or <laughs> you didn't know about that um, yeah. <laughs> um but you know it's it's been it's been great it's been great following
1: you on your journey Thank you. I'm very happy to hear that. It's at least entertaining.
0: <laughs> oh, always, always. Um, so before we start talking conjuring, um, let's talk religion a little bit. What is your religious background?
1: Um, So my religious background is... It, there's not like a, a very specific way. I guess you could say I kind of grew up non-denominational. Um, my mom... So my mom was raised in a cult. Um Oh. Wow. I, I um yeah, I don't I've brought it up a couple of times but I don't bring it up too much just cuz I don't want to like talk about my mom's personal life, you know, like mm-hmm. to to people who she, you know, I don't know. It's weird, but yeah, so she was raised in a cult. So she kind of um sorry if my camera's being weird. Um yeah, so but she always raised us in a house though like she doesn't like organized religion, but she always raised us to be like Followers of Jesus Christ and like followers of God. And I remember as a kid, if I was ever scared of things, she would always be like, just read the Bible, which was not great advice. Love you, Mom. Um the Bible has some very scary stories in <laughs> So true. Um, but so but yeah, I started going to a youth group in eighth grade, and I kind of was like, dang, organized religion is cool. Why don't I do this more often? <laughs> and um, I, I even, um, my mom never really even like forced it on me, but I dove into purity culture a lot. That was like, I was very much the like holier than thou, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm better than you because I'm religious kind of like Mm -hmm. idea, I guess. Um, so like through college, I started going to, you know, little college ministries. Um, and then I went to a camp, a church. I, I went to UNT, University of North Texas, and there was like a small church there called Hope. I started going there and I moved in with girls from my church and I quickly realized like, Oh, you know what? Maybe organized religion isn't for me <laughs> because they were very much like, Logan, we're going to keep you accountable. And I was like, you're not my mom. <laughs> um, if that kind of, so that kind of led me into a lot of my own like personal deconstruction of like how I view religion, I guess. And I know that like, I, I whenever you had, um, your husband, David on, y'all talked about deconstruction a lot and that was actually kind of like eye opening for me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I did that. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I, I still consider myself a believer. I guess you could still even say I'm a Christian. Um, I, like I said, I still believe, you know, Jesus came and died for my sins. I was baptized when I was 21. So like, I, I even was kind of a late bloomer um, because I really wanted to be like a very like devout Christian. But then like, I kind of like took a step back and I realized that there are ways that I guess people are manipulated by the church, not all churches, not all churches, but I definitely like, like, you know, I've just, I've had to go through my own deconstruction. So I still, I still believe, but I don't belong to a church and I don't necessarily think I want to, Mm -hmm. but I still, I still keep my, I keep my believer friends close by (laughs) for sure.
0: Yeah, it sounds like I think you and I are in a very like similar similar place because um, we do belong to a church, but it's it's just a little house church. So there's like mm. thirty people on a banging day, you know. Um, it's it's very small, um, so it's nice to still be t- like connected to a community and like committed to like a routine. Um, but if something happened to that group and I had to like go quote unquote church shopping, I I mean, I just don't know if I could do it. I just don't know if I could do it, you know? Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the, the discussion about deconstruction like resonated with somebody because I never know exactly who the audience is that's listening to this show and you know, like horror and any kind of religion just don't seem to like mesh but there's actually a lot of like there's a lot of stuff that i've uncovered that sort of overlap um but again you just you just never know like who your people yeah. are out there um and so especially since deconstruction is like still a new a newer thing in christianity it's just like is anybody gonna care about this like yeah is, is this is nerdy like is this is valuable information um but you know, in that particular episode, I was just like, oh, this is like, this is what's happening. You know, seeing it with fresh eyes, like, I really want to talk about it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it made sense to you.
1: No, it was, it was really good. It, it, well, it helped me too, because y'all like were putting a lot of words to a lot of like concepts that I was seeing. Y'all were like putting words to, like I said, concepts that I was seeing play out in like, even my own, my own friends, like, you know, their relationships with God and stuff. I used to see a lot about deconstruction and I was like, oh my goodness, some of my friends losing their faith. And then like, I realized what deconstruction actually was. And I was like, oh, I see. It's more, you know, kind of what I actually ended up experiencing myself. So yeah. it was, it was actually, yeah, it was really good. 10 out of 10.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So uh, today we are not talking about deconstruction. We are talking about the conjuring. We are still on the exorcism track, Um, Which is, as I've said, not my favorite track, but it is a popular track in horror. And so I just, you know, I had to do it. But I will say I I am glad that like we're rounding it out. And especially I'm glad we're rounding it out with The Conjuring because it's not like The Exorcist. It's not like the other uh, movies in the exorcism subgenre. It's a little different. Um, And so you actually chose this film to talk about. And why did you want to talk about this movie?
1: Um, well, it's, (laughs) there, there were a couple, so I, I remember whenever you kind of brought up in the, in the thing, you're like, I want to talk about, you know, religion and horror with, with people. So like think of movies, the conjuring was honestly one of the only movies that a hadn't already been taken, (laughs) but B also like, and I know we're going to talk a lot more about it as we get into it. I just loved the portrayal of the Warrens specifically. Mm -hmm. And I know that, I know it was a dramatic portrayal, but I, I don't know. I love the way that they talked about God and I feel like their, their view of God, um, was kind of very slimmer to mine. how, like, I think it was a reference from the second movie, but I remember there specifically, like, I think Ed was like talking to one of the kids and he was like, yeah, well, we're going to kick that demon's butt. And I don't know. It's just like, it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's, well, I I don't want to say it's childlike. I know that that is kind of a childlike view so of God. As, as They often say, yeah, it's wholesome. It was, I thought it was cute. Um, I don't know. I often talk about like, oh, well, think about when Jesus came out of the the tomb and he, he gave everyone the finger, you know, like something funny like that, which he didn't actually do that. But like, that's always my just like, you know, my funny like way of viewing it just kind of like bringing in the real world. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to say that it's not like a serious way of viewing God, but it's also kind of a like, it doesn't have to be so serious. It can be fun, too. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that's kind of what I liked about it. It's like they do take it seriously, but they also have their moments where they can, you know, they There's can like make some it. Levity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Levity, I think, is a good way to put it, because these movies don't have a whole lot of levity. They have their moments. But man, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I, I forgot how like little levity levity there is until I rewatched this movie. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and give the spoiler warning, folks, um, because
0: we're going to dive into all things Conjuring. So if you have not seen The Conjuring, you need to check it out because it's pretty much a classic at this point. And then you can rejoin us.
1: All right, it's 918. We're headed down into the cellar where the door is just opened on its own. Give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. What are you guys? Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. There's someone here that would like to talk to you. There's something horrible happening in my house. November 1st, 1971, I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perrin, who, with her family, has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little peace each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. It's not going to help. This thing has latched itself to your family. Father, we never seen nothing like this. I'm coming with you. No way. Please. I can't lose you. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. She's standing in front of my mom's bed. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And the music stops, you
1: see him in the mirror standing behind you. Look what she
0: made me do. <laughs> the film begins with a prologue featuring Ed and Lorraine Warren investigating a possessed doll named Annabelle. This prologue sets the stage for the couple's expertise in dealing with paranormal phenomena. The focus then shifts to the Perrin family, consisting of parents, Carolyn and Roger, and their five daughters. They have just moved into an old, rustic farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, seeking a fresh start and a quiet life in the countryside. The atmosphere is initially idyllic, but soon unsettling occurrences begin to disrupt their peace. The disturbances start with mysterious noises in the night, doors creaking open, and clocks stopping at the same time every morning, 3.07 a.m. The parent and daughters, particularly the young Cindy and April, began to experience unsettling occurrences in their rooms. These experiences escalate from simple scares to traumatic confrontations with malevolent spirits. As the supernatural activity intensifies, Carolyn becomes more and more concerned about her family's safety. The family dog, Sadie, is brutally murdered and Carolyn herself becomes a target, waking up with unexplained bruises and suffering from sleepwalking episodes. With the situation spiraling out of control, the parents seek assistance from the local authorities who are unable to provide any solutions. Desperate for help, Carolyn contacts Ed and Lorraine Warren after reading about their paranormal investigations in a newspaper article. The Warrens agree to visit the parent household to assess the situation. Upon their arrival, they witness evidence of the paranormal activity, including objects moving on their own and ghostly apparitions. The Warrens set up their equipment, including cameras, recording devices, and investigative tools, and begin their examination of the house. As the Warrens delve deeper into their investigation, they discover that the Perrin farmhouse has a dark and disturbing history. It was previously owned by Bathsheba Sherman— a woman accused of witchcraft and child sacrifice in the 19th century. Bathsheba's malevolent spirit is believed to be at the center of the hauntings, and her curse continues to affect the house and its inhabitants. Lorraine Warren, who possesses psychic abilities, is deeply affected by the spirits in the house and experiences visions of Bathsheba's evil deeds. She is determined to protect the Perrin family and free them from the curse. The Warrens determine that an exorcism is needed to save Carolyn from Bathsheba's grip. Ed is initially hesitant to perform the ritual since he has not received clearance from the Catholic Church, but ultimately decides that they can't wait. The Warrens and their investigators gather to perform the exorcism on Carolyn. The evil spirit attempts to thwart their efforts, leading to a harrowing battle between good and evil. Ultimately, the Warrens' faith, determination, and expertise prevail, and Carolyn is freed from Bathsheba's possession. The family can finally breathe a sigh of relief as the malevolent presence in their home is vanquished. The film ends with the Warrens returning to their home and discussing their next case. So, like you said, the Warrens are sort of like the superstars of this movie. Um, And... I agree with you. Like, they're very engaging characters. They're very sweet. They're kind of, they're just like, they're like wholesome superheroes. Like you said, they're just this sweet little squeaky clean little couple that you just love to see together. Um, However, there's like controversy around the real life Warrens. And so I think this is a good time for us to just have a little bit of an aside about the real life Warrens. And also just like other spiritual celebrities. Because that's quite a thing it always has been but especially in today's culture like a lot of a lot of it is kind of like reignited so um, what have you like heard read found about the Warrens that's that's a little bit less than savory
1: so um, I, read a, uh, I read a Vox article um, about them that I it's so weird trying to find like and obviously, I think trying to find the true story of the Warrens is difficult because mm-hmm. you have, like, um, as, w- I, I, as we kind of briefly touched on, I think, before we started recording, um, HBO recently came out with, like, a documentary where I was expecting it to be, like, you know, a tell-all about the Warrens. Mm-hmm. They even had Judy Warren, like, their daughter on there. And it was just story time that, of them all telling, you know, about different, different um you know, spirits that they've fought and whatnot and different kinds of, um, houses they've gone to. And it, it's all hammed up. It's all as if it's all real. So I was kind of like, I, I was like, I, this isn't what I wanted. Um, no. <laughs> then I watched, um, Netflix recently came out with, um, oh, I don't know what it's called. Devil on trial. I think is what it's called, um, about the, the case that the third conjuring movie revolves around the devil made me do it. Um, mm-hmm. we basically, uh, You know, a young man kills his landlord and tries to blame it on demonic possession um, in a court of law. And um, they it's crazy, too, because throughout most of that documentary, they 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 show three of the four kids talking about it and they all talk about it like it's legit. They even bring on the Warren's grandson. He talks about it like it's all legit. Mm -hmm. And then they bring in the oldest son of the four from that one family. And he's like, I've known this was, you know, Bull crap from from day one. And he's like, and and so it was nice because then at the end they do kind of start to detail like, oh well, the Warrens actually like they brought in an author and he wrote this book and they told us that we were going to be rich from our story and then at the end of the day the family only got like forty five hundred dollars while the Warrens made like eighty one thousand dollars off of it and of course then that led to the Conjuring movies being made so like all mm-hmm. of their not that one book I'm assuming all of their. reputation of what led to the conjuring movies being made and um i even read in the vox article though that on top of their stories being super dramatized because the um one of the uh, one of the kids even says like oh yeah like the author came in and he was like the, the ed warren was like telling him to like make it scarier make it scarier and the author was like, well, this isn't what the family told me. And he's like, I don't care. It needs to be scary. Cause got to sell these books. Like he was purposefully embellishing the story because he wanted to get, um, you know, he wanted to get his books sold. Um, and on top of that, in the Vox article that I read, um, they, there was, and this is all allegations too. I'm not entirely sure, but there was allegations that Ed Warren groomed like a young 19 year old woman or 16 mm-hmm. year old woman who, I think she lived with them. 16 year old woman, 16 year old kid, but 19 year old woman, um with like Lorraine's consent <laughs> and yeah. like they had like a I came across that as well um and that I, that story i guess like they were basically like yes listen to this woman's story but also i guess take it with a grain of salt because she came out with that story whenever she was getting much older and i guess maybe i don't know the way that i was reading the story was like she says she alleged that this happened but i guess there's really no way for us to know how true or accurate it is um i always like to believe you know women whenever they have those stories of course um right but so yeah there's also that like and it's crazy too because as we kind of talked about i like the conjuring because of the portrayal of the warrens how they are like this couple who they like deeply love each other like Mm -hmm. you know there's no there's nothing no demon or anything like that that can break their bond and here we are finding out you know all these years after their death that like oh actually like Ed was having a torrent affair with this like very young woman and Lorraine not only knew about it, but she was okay with it.
0: Yeah. So like you, I, so over the past, I don't know, maybe like five years, there's been a ton of, of chatter and like people just take it, just take it that like, oh, they're, they're bad people and they're frauds. And, um. I've heard that, but like, I've never, I didn't know what the specifics were. So like I, same thing. I was like, okay, well, like, what are the specifics? And it is hard to pin down because you've got opposing sides in almost every case. And um, so what I was reading is that like, generally all of their cases have been like debunked. Um, However, Like, in many of these cases, like, there are some people who were there who were like, it's not true. And there are other people who were there who were like, oh, no, this absolutely happened. So it's very muddy. I expected it to be very, like, clear cut, open and shut. And it was not as clear cut as I thought. Now, of course, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it appears that, yes, they are charlatans on some level. Um, But it just wasn't as, like, damning as I thought. Thought It was going to be like even with the parents who are in the Mm. conjuring story and the Amityville horror family, the Lutzes, same thing in this in both of these families are large. And some of the children say this is blown out of proportion. And some of the children say this happened to me. Um, So it's very difficult. And also in the Amityville case. Like, I've known for pretty much ever that Amityville wasn't real. Like, that was what I always thought. And I'm pretty sure even the guy who wrote the book was like, we wrote this book for entertainment, to make money, whatever. Um, However, the Lutzes, the Lutz family who lived in the Amityville house and the Warrens, to this day, maintain that it really happened. So, it's just real difficult to, like, pinpoint exactly what these people are and Mm -hmm. what their shtick is. Um, Like, apparently they never charged people like for their services for their spiritual like services, but yes, there were books. Now there are movies. So like clearly, you know, they got, they got the story rights and it's been like a lucrative thing. Um, But I was expecting to find that, like, Oh, they like charged people to come in their houses and do their, you know, their whatever. Um, so that surprised
1: me a little bit
0: that it wasn't as
1: clear cut as I thought it was going to be. You know? Um, Yeah, no, I, I agree because just based on like how, like you kind of said people in, in at least like, I guess our circles, but also just any circles I've been able to look into is like, it always seemed cut and dry. Like, yeah, they were frauds. Um, I don't know how far you got into the devil on trial documentary. And I guess, I don't know general spoiler warning for that for anyone who wanted to watch it. Um, they, did you want, well, I guess I don't, I yeah. don't know how much you got the Have it. it. I've watched about um, half of it.
0: I will watch the rest of it, but like, please fill us in.
1: So I guess, cause I, I, I didn't go into it with an open mind. And then like the first half, they're very much hamming it up. They're like, you know, like there's a like, they, there's both like two kids, or not two kids, they're grown men now, but whenever they were kids, they're sitting there, they're like, no, whenever I was 11 years old, I was possessed by the devil. And he like tells his story. And then you have the teenage brother who's like, I told the devil to leave him and go into me. <laughs> um, and then he's the one who ended up killing his landlord. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, no, I was, I was totally possessed. And you know, da, 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 da. But then they bring in the older brother and he's like, well, yeah, the Warrens came in and they told, they sat down with my brother, and with my his, my mom and they told my mom and my brother, he's going to start doing these things. And lo and behold, my brother out of nowhere mm-hmm. just starts cursing that mom and doing all these things. Mm-hmm. He's like, but my dad, like, got tired of it one day and he walked out. He just slapped my brother across the face and that devil sat on the couch and he shut up. And I was like, there we go. Like, <laughs> the devil's going to yell at mom. But the second that dad comes in and, you know, slaps the kid, suddenly, like, the devil doesn't want to talk anymore. Like I, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. Like, I don't know. It, it it was just really hard. Cause like I said, I went into it without an open mind and then they, they almost got me like they were <laughs> with all these people who were talking about these things as if they were facts. And I, I am gullible. I am easily manipulated, unfortunately. <laughs> and and that's what I think that the Warrens were though, as I think they were truly just master manipulators. Um, but I, And I don't know, I don't know how much you want me to like talk or get into it a little bit, but they talk about how like Lorraine was a clairvoyant, like Mm -hmm. she could see auras on people. Mm -hmm. Like I know I had an aunt who like, I have an aunt who she kind of did the same thing. She said that she could see auras on us and stuff, but she has some other mental health issues that kind of lead me to take those with a grain of salt. So it's kind of like, I don't know if maybe they, they had their own issues too and they just found each other and it worked out for them. But yeah. I, I, I don't know if like maybe Ed's just the mastermind. He's just the master manipulator. But I do think that at the end of the day, they are just really good at telling a story and getting you to believe it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's been so hard for us to find, you know, cold, hard evidence, especially whenever their own family members still, even after they've long died, are like, yeah, this is what my grandparents did. This is, yep, that's how they did it. That's, you know, it. Yeah. It, But... Well, um
0: and even if like, let's just say best case scenario that that like they had the best intentions and they were just misled because I mean, how many people have you encountered in like the church who they weren't trying to hurt anybody? They thought they had it right. They were convinced they were doing the right thing. And now you look back on it and you're like. That was totally garbage, and that was totally not the right thing. Like, that was not helpful. Um, but they they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they had the best intentions. So, and I'm not saying that that's what the wardens were doing, but I think that it, right. it, it even could be the case that they really thought they were doing what was best, even when things weren't real, you know. Um, and... That's kind of like the culture – I feel like the culture of, of like I said, spiritual celebrities. We have celebrity pastors, um, which is a, a long road that, like, I will not go down. Um, but it seems like every few months we're getting another headline about some giant mega pastor has been caught with an alcohol problem or with a woman or with whatever or with, like, fraud or abuse of power. I mean, it's it's – it's constant. And um, so I think that's part of the reason why with the with the Warrens, people are just – when they hear these like stories of like, mm, it's not true or like skepticism, it's so easy to believe it because we've seen it with other high-profile people in positions of spiritual authority. Um, so – I would, I want to give you a a moment. Like, were there any like celebrity pastors or like mega church scandals that like you wanted to talk about?
1: <laughs> um. Well, I did. Um. I did. I put. I know that you and I have briefly in. The, you know, in our own conversations, we've talked about Mark Driscoll. I'm not going to get too into him because I'll get angry. Um,
0: <laughs> Same. <laughs> but- That's. I can't hardly go down that road. <laughs>
1: Um <laughs> I even thought about for I even thought about like just for old time's sake listening to the fall of Mars, the rise and fall of Mars Hell, just to kind of like get back into, you know, that mindset. But then I was like, no, I can't go through that emotion, emotional journey again. <laughs> um and then I kind of like I mentioned, I did start watching the Hill Song documentary, so I I, you know, hear a lot about Carl Lentz, um, who I'm I I don't know a whole lot about him, but I do vividly remember like watching church culture change as he was, you know, like I look back on the years where he was kind of rising into fame. And I remember watching, you know, the aesthetic of the youth pastor change and all those other, you know, just like things like that. Um, But I guess um, I guess I could one thing I could one small like anecdote I could have, though, is there was a like I live I grew up in a suburb where there was a like celebrity pastor in our city who had Mm -hmm. like this they had there, it was the village church and they had, um, they had a, a pastor who had this like cancer sob story about how, like, you know, he's battling cancer and all this other stuff. And, you know, all these years later come to find out it was all a lie. Um, so, you know, just things like that, the village church, that's, that church wasn't a grocery store. It was in a, an old Albertsons. They just carved all that out and put a church in there. But, um, yeah, kind of like you were saying, um, The, the mega, the mega church pastor is a lie almost always. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: uh, it's just a really tricky proposition, I think. Um, and like you, like I, I'm still so like fresh out of what we call big church, regular church. And I never Mm -hmm. went to a mega church just to be clear. Um, but you know, I've been in church culture almost my whole life. So, um, we sang Hillsong worship songs. Um, you know, we followed all of those like big churches who were like doing the big, cool, creative things. That's another thing as a creative. You get sucked in to these churches with all these resources and can do these cool things. Um, but I, I I, cannot watch the Hillsong documentary. There are two of them. I have not listened to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Like I have not watched the Duggar documentary um, I just can't do it. Mm. I'm just so still kind of raw from like my experience, like saturated in church culture that like, I, I know that it will just like, it will just work me up. And I'm, already, <laughs> I always say I'm cynical enough already. So like someday <laughs> I'm sure I will go down all those roads. Um, but it's right, <laughs> yeah, right now I just can't. Um, and also I, I am like, not close friends, but acquaintances with several people who came out of Mars Hill. And so I have heard that story firsthand from people who were like in Mark Driscoll's ear and like in his council and like on his staff. So
1: I'm just like...
0: (laughs) I have heard it. <laughs> oh, I am good goodness. for now. Yeah, I'm good for now.
1: Um, it's possible you've heard more than I did. <laughs> and I listened to like the whole 27 part podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's I do vividly remember, though, like um, there was a church that we were at when we first moved to Florida. And it was it was when Mark Driscoll was popular and nothing had come out about him yet. Mm-hmm. Um And we did like on Wednesday nights. We would almost we'd almost have like small group like at church, and we like watched one of Mark Driscoll's series, like one of his video series. And like there were some things that he was saying that I liked because again he was modern and he was trendy. So like there were some things that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh that's cool. And there were but but overall I was like, do not like this man's vibe. Not picking Uh it up. Like at the end of the series, I was like, don't think I'm gonna be revisiting this man. And so then later, when it all came tumbling down, I was like, mm-hmm, "Let's my mm-hmm. instincts about this dude were right. They were right." So, folks, if you don't know what we're talking about, like I don't know, Google Mark Driscoll if you want to go down that road. If um, you dare, yeah, if you dare, it's a whole, it's your typical, it's your typical like mega church like thing, you know. So, um, but leaving that behind, <laughs> there's there's one more person I want to talk about, and this person's way more fun than mega church pastors.
1: I'm so sorry. I'm going to tell Diego to okay. quiet down. That's my boyfriend yelling.
0: <laughs> I couldn't. I honestly, I, like, I couldn't even hear it. So we're good. Oh, good. <laughs> Don't muzzle Diego.
1: <laughs> all right. All right. All right. <laughs>
0: um, but the, the, so the last spiritual celebrity I want to talk about before we actually talk about this movie is Zach Bagans from Ghost Adventures. And like, this is a full circle moment because... Zach Bagans has a haunted museum in Vegas. I really want to go there, but he has all this stuff. Like he has the original eyebrow windows from the Amityville house. He's got the like rocking chair from the devil made me do it. Warren case. Like I have a feeling that when the, when the Warren's like people pass away or they don't want to store their stuff anymore, I have a feeling their entire collection is going to Zach Bagans haunted museum. Um, so before I had mentioned him to you, were you familiar with him or Ghost Adventures at
1: all? Um, well, so it's funny, um, no, to be, well, yes and no. I It's possible that Diego, like, pulled up, because Diego knows him. I, I um, I was watching, in, in preparation for this, I was watching, like, some of his greatest hits on YouTube, and Diego walked out, and he was like, are you watching Zach Bagans right now? <laughs> I was Yes! Like, yep. Um, and I even, um... Earlier this evening, before we started recording, I looked up his uh, documentary, uh, Demon House, I believe it was, on uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, I started it, but it's like an hour and a half. I didn't have enough time to finish it, but I definitely want to go back and watch it. And, like, I I looked it up, and it was, like, resume from where you were watching. (laughs) So... It looks like Diego's also watching that. Um, so he's definitely a fan. Um, I believe that, so we had a, uh, we had an episode of Tales from the Crypt that was actually about a ghost hunter called a uh, television terror.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, uh, G Baby was on for that one. I believe that G Baby mentioned Zach Bagans whenever we were having the discussion. So, like, I think he knew about it. And I'm sure that it was something I said I was going to look more into at the time. And then in true me fashion, I did not. Um, But I definitely want to go down that rabbit hole because from the little bit that I was watching last night and earlier today, it's highly entertaining stuff. Yes, Um, it
0: is. It's so entertaining. It's ridiculous. Like David and I started watching Ghost Adventures at least a decade ago um, because it started with like Ghost Hunters was popular. And Ghost Hunters was like very straightforward like the guys on that show go in just very practical, very like straightforward and in a lot of their episodes like at the end of the episode they'll be like we can't explain this but we didn't find any evidence or they'll say hey this weird thing that you're hearing it's a pipe, you know. Mm-hmm. So like that show is very just like practical ghost adventures it is Level 10 every episode. Every episode, it's a demon. It's aggressive. Like, Zach Bagans is, like, the bro, like, the Chad of ghost hunting. <laughs> yeah. Somebody described him as, like, the Chris Angel of paranormal <laughs> shows. I was like, that is so true. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, like, I think it's I, – well, I can't tell, honestly. To me, I'm like, clearly this is not real, but
1: I sort of feel like maybe he
0: thinks it's real every time. It's hard to tell.
1: So I guess <laughs> before before I go on, I do have a question, like, and I don't know if you want to get into this or not, but, like, do you believe in, like, ghosts and, and demons and demonic possession and stuff? I wanted to ask you this. Um, yeah, yes,
0: but, like, only so far. Um, like, I've never seen a ghost, and... I'm a pretty – I'm what I call like – I'm a pretty like discerning person. Like if I get certain mm-hmm. feelings about people or situations or places, like it almost always I'm I'm right. Um, and maybe that's just human intuition. I don't know. But I've been in a lot of old places and a lot of like – I've just never seen a ghost. I've never had a weird encounter like that. Um, And then also like even David and I were talking about like the exorcism in this movie in the conjuring, I was like, I don't believe in that. Like, I don't think people get like possessed like that. You know, I think that's, that's like a cinematic thing. Um, so like as it's just like presented in pop culture, like, no, but I do believe in, in like spiritual things. So I, I do believe that like, Ghost hunting could be a real thing. Like there could yeah. be real things there. Uh, what
1: about you? So I, I've been, I, I know I've been pretty open with it, about it in the slack. Um, I, I believed in ghosts and demonic possession enough that I actually had to go to therapy for it as an adult. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I, and, and here's the thing. I've had no paranormal encounters, knock on wood. <laughs> I still get anxious enough about it, though, that I'm like, I'm not going to play with it. I'm not going to mess with it. You won't see me with a Ouija board. Mm-mm. And you definitely won't see me going to, like, there's a, whenever I, I went to UNT, I uh, it's in Denton, Texas. There's a place there called Goatman's Bridge that's, like, pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people have heard of Man's Bri- Goatman's, Goatman's Bridge. I think, um who are those BuzzFeed guys? BuzzFeed Unsolved? I think they went to Goatman's Bridge at one point. Um, it's like, it's a place where paranormal investigators will go. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't catch me going there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd probably go to like Zach Biggin's, you know, Haunted Museum. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know, I feared demonic possession enough, though, that I actually had to go like talk to a therapist and Luckily, talking to her really kind of helped sort a lot of that out. She would like repeat the things I was saying back to me, and I'd be like, Oh, I s- that does sound kind of crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> Which she never called me crazy, but she would like, I think she knew though that like just enough of the like, hey, like listen to yourself would be like, Oh, okay. So I'm it's not bad anymore, but there definitely is still a part of me that is like. I don't want, I don't want to encounter someone from, from the, from the beyond, but that's also just because, like, in my head, like, I always think of them as, like, malevolent. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. I never think of them as, like, Casper the Friendly Ghost. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, it's always just been, and that's one reason why, like, for me, watching The Conjuring, I watched it for the first time two ish years ago. That was, like, a huge deal for me. It was, like, it was a big deal. Um, and so, like, I, which luckily now I've been able to watch more ghosty things and it's it's been a lot more entertaining. So like the whole Zach Bagans thing, I'm really excited to dive into that. Like watching it these last few days has been like, wow, this is so much fun. When like two years ago, I would have been like, you cannot pay me to watch that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I really can't candy. believe just like as ridiculous as Zach is like. I cannot believe that there that he that like more people aren't aware of his ridiculousness, and then I have like not seen more memes. Like I've gotten, I think two Zach Bagans memes this year, and I'm like, oh, give them all to me. So, folks, if you're out there and you see a Zach Bagans meme, please send it my way. I find it very entertaining, and I'm like, I hope there are ten more seasons of Ghost Adventures because it's great background TV, mm. and. Like you said, it's entertaining. It's super entertaining. So I'm always, always have an eye on what stupid things Zach Bagans is going to do
1: next. And, for sure. Um, watching him too, like, I want to believe it. Strangely <laughs> enough, like, it's so out of character for me. But I want to believe that they're, they're communicating with ghosts, like, so badly because of the way that, you know, they react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it, it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and... I, uh, yeah, I definitely, I can't wait. There's lots of entertainment back there for me to, to get into with the Zach Bagans. Um, but I even, I even asked Diego though, whenever he came out and he saw me, I was like, so, um, what do you think? Is he the real deal or is, is he just fake? And Diego was like, I think it's all just fake. But, um, like I said, I want to believe that it's real just because like, obviously this man has put his entire life <laughs> into this, like the, does he call himself a demonologist or is he just a ghost hunter?
0: I, I don't think he has any, like, official titles like that. I've heard him refer to himself as highly sensitive. Like, he says he's a sensitive. So, I think that's all I've heard as far as, like, official labels attributed to him. Yeah. So, I, don't I don't like, like labels. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like labels. I just commune with the dead. It's no big deal. No big deal. So, do you want to talk about this movie?
1: <laughs> yes. Let's talk about this movie. Oh,
0: so, okay. So I'm going to kind of like go out of my outside my normal order because you said that this movie was like kind of out of your normal comfort zone and like you've sort of grown into it. So this movie, I remember it being pretty scary when I saw it in the theater. So like what to you, like what is scary about this movie? What are your like, whoo, moments?
1: Um, so... There are, so the moment I think that, the moment that kept me up at night, the first time I watched it, was definitely the scene where uh, Christine and Nancy are sleeping in their room, and the ghost just keeps tugging at Christine's foot. I, I, to this day, I still can't sleep without my feet tucked under the blanket, you know, like, I'm like, I'm not messing with it, even if I'm hot. I'm like, nope, nope, I'll sweat, it's fine um I right. it just it freaks me out and like even though i think it's crazy that the scene where christine is just like staring at the door and yes. like we don't see anything happening but she is like clearly like the ghost is talking to her but we don't see anything that's happening that still scared me so bad i was like what is he saying to her What is? and he then her, her
0: sister oh. like gets up and stands there and you're like don't stand there yeah. behind the door <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she's like she's right behind you and I was like <laughs> mm. yeah mm. but Ooh. I. the other scene that got me which it got me partial because it was a jump scare but also the the look what you made me do because she's whispering she's like look what you made me do and then she just keeps whispering it and then all of a sudden she jumps out at the door frame and she's like oh what you made me do and I was like move it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was anticipating it but I whenever I watched it again the second time around but I was still like <laughs> it it's just so, like, jarring. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, also, the uh, the moment, well, there's, these, th- these two things are tied together. So, all of the hide and clap scenes are so good. And it's all James Wan and his, like, mm-hmm. fantastic direction. This, like, simple kids game. So terrifying. Even before we get to the part where she's locked in the basement. Like, yeah. Also great. And so like whenever we see, but Carolyn doesn't see the hands coming out of the wardrobe. Oh, yeah. And so that, that's, it sets up perfectly for then later when we see Bathsheba, like on top of that wardrobe, like that wardrobe is just terrifying. Like anytime we see the wardrobe, mm-hmm. terrifying.
1: Yeah. It, it has its own aura that like, it, it. you just like, I don't know. You see the wardrobe and I feel cold. Like, just looking at it, I feel, like, a chill. It's, they, uh, I don't know, it's, they do a really good job with that, but also, I vividly remember the promo, f- like, all the commercials for the movie, mm-hmm. and the, the clap scene, where Carolyn's in the closet, not in the closet, I guess the closet, the stairwell, or whatever, yeah, she's and in the they come out right behind her, and they clap. I, like, vividly remember that being one of, like, the big drops in the commercial, so, like, whenever they're playing the hide-and-clap game at the very beginning of the movie, I was immediately on edge. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's coming.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a like, fantastically cut trailer with that moment in it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, speaking of the wardrobe, because, like, that wardrobe is in the house when they move in. It's not theirs. It's just, like, it's already there. That and then the locket that um, – lorraine has like she has one and her daughter has one it reminded me have you seen that meme i'm pretty sure it's pat robertson where he's talking about demons being attached to your thrift store finds have you ever seen no (laughs) that's what it reminded me of like somebody sent that to me earlier this year and i had a good laugh about it and then whenever these objects were in the house that belonged to somebody else that were haunted i was like that's what it reminds me of pat robertson was right (laughs) for once (laughs) Um,
1: i will share that hilarious
0: on my uh on my on my feed or something so you can all join in the the funny with me
1: (laughs) i love thrift shopping yeah i know right
0: (laughs) oh um Some of the other, like, weird objects, since we're talking about that, is, like, there are two things that I cannot even with James Wan in this movie, and that is, okay, so the one is the Annabelle doll, and Uh two is the music box. Both of those are so James Wan, and I'm like, who would ever play with this friggin' doll? Like, no child would ever want this doll, it's
1: terrifying, it's, it's not even well. So, here's the thing I grew up loving those little porcelain dolls that everyone else thought were creepy, but mm-hmm, like, me too. not like I, I mean, they could have even tried to go with the porcelain doll or even the OG Raggedy Ann. Yes, I grew up with a Raggedy Ann that would have freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, I think
0: it would have been scarier if Annabelle was just a doll, just a regular doll who happened mm-hmm. to be haunted, but like. I had forgotten, because whenever this movie came out, like, James Wan was still kind of, like, fresh. Like, I think he had done, clearly saw, and I think he had done Insidious. And I think Mm -hmm. Conjuring was, like, the big, the third of, like, the big three. So, he was still, like, Mr. Genius, like, can do no wrong. And so, I don't remember being put off by it the first time I saw it. But this time, I was, like who art directed this doll? Like
1: this is a bad choice. This is terrible. (laughs) Like ugly from day one, even before they dumped her in the trash bag, the trap, the the dumpster. I was like, who would, like you said, like, I don't even think that some kid in the sixties would have played with this doll, let alone, you know, well, I guess this was, I guess it takes place in the seventies, but like, I don't think anyone would have played with that ugly thing. They had prettier dolls back then. <laughs> no.
0: And it would have been different, too, if it was, like, a homemade doll. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Robert the doll. Um if you're not you need you should google robert the doll he's like he's supposed to be a cursed doll and he's handmade so he's very creepy but he looks authentic because somebody just made him so like mm-hmm. again if annabelle looked like she was handmade and that why she that's why she was creepy but like it looks like a factory like the chucky factory produced mm-hmm. this annabelle doll,
1: and they made it oh. to be a horror character not even to be a possessed item yeah it specifically Yes. To be scary. it
0: almost seems like James Wan franchise is written across that doll's <laughs> bit, But anyway, okay, like we have spent enough time on the Annabelle doll. <laughs> yeah. Um. But like you said earlier, like I think the driving force of this movie and really all the Conjuring movies is is the Warrens. And like controversy aside, I really. I'm, like, glad they exist. And I think if we just separate them from the real people, like, they are. They are precious. I think they are the reason why this movie really resonates. Um, and it almost seems like on paper they shouldn't work because they're too sweet and, like, too innocent. But they're just mm-hmm. – I think it's i think it's the actors, honestly. Vera um, Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are just so good together. And so all of their sweetness just seems very authentic. And so you just believe it. You just believe that they're sweet people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, like, them paired with the family, who's also precious, I think is really what makes this movie, like, believable and, like, has you caring about the stakes that are happening. Yeah.
1: The casting director deserves all the Oscars for the casting of this movie. Um, Oh, Ron Livingston. Is that the dad's name? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The guy from Friday Night Lights. I, um, man, I didn't even realize that was him until my second watch. I watched the first movie, maybe because I was so scared. The first movie, I was mostly watching my pillow. I was like (laughs) watching it, you know, so maybe I just didn't. So this time, whenever I watched it, I was like, wait a minute. Um, oh, I I saw a light on my door. I was like, what on earth was that? (laughs) No, it's just.
0: Somebody call Zach Biggins.
1: No, (laughs) Zach. (laughs) Um, no, but. And um, I love uh, Joey King, the girl who plays Christine. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think they they all did a really good job, And, of course, uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, is that how you say her? her? I think so. Their chemistry is amazing. Like, I I, I believe it, you know. And it's funny, whenever – I watched Insidious for the first time this year, and so Patrick Wilson's also in that movie. And whenever he had a different actress playing his wife in that movie, I was like – He's cheating on her because <laughs> like, it was just unbelievable. I was like, no. Although I, I will say think. that like
0: Vera Farmiga and Rose Byrne, who's in Insidious, they are a little bit the same flavor, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> even down to like the hair color. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, also, to me, so the Catholic Church is in this movie as with most exorcism movies and the Warrens were actually Catholic in real life. But like that to me, if you had just asked me what denominations the Warrens are, hundred percent would have been like, those people are holiness Pentecostal for sure. <laughs> like never would have guessed they were Catholic. They, they come across as way more like charismatic Pentecostal to me, which is maybe another reason why they resonate with me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I went to church with people like this. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's that that is where like this fits into that cliche exorcism movie and that there is a tiny, tiny bit of the presence of the Catholic Church, even though Ed's like, well, screw this. I'm just going to do my thing because it's a desperate situation, Um, which I appreciate. But like they're very respectful of like the Catholic Church's process and Mm. and all of that stuff in getting this exorcism for this family, which is sort of interesting.
1: And I guess, sorry to, like, kind of, like, deter for one second, I know at the very beginning of the movie, it says that Ed Warren is, like, the only non, what, like, Catholic priest that's, like, recognized by the Catholic Church or whatever, something Mm -hmm. like that. Was that true, or is that just, like, something that the movie said? Because I was kind of, like, like that, yeah, that was, like I said, that was just, like, a a short little deterrent that I was kind of, like, oh, yeah, like, while we're talking about that. But, yeah, I... Man, that's one of my favorite parts, though, is when he's like, I'm doing the exorcist myself, the exorcism myself. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it it's a cheering moment. It's just so like, yeah, hardcore. <laughs>
0: and I think another thing, too, about the Warrens, um, that's really sweet is that we see them like other than like, you know, having like spiritual warfare, for lack of a better term, Um we get to see them just being like what I call good Christians. Like they're do like doing laundry and like fixing the guy's car. And like, they're there to just sort of like serve the family while the family's going mm-hmm. through this hard time. And I think that's another thing that like really won me over for them is that like at first when they meet Carolyn, like, Ed doesn't, like, even want to mess with it. He's just like, we have a long drive home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's like, nope.
0: Yeah, which is a very human moment, you know. And then when they figure out that, like, oh, this is a real, like, this is a real concern. They're all in. They're like, we're living with you. We're going to take care of you so so you can rest. Um, Which, again, just, like, serves to make them seem really genuine. Which once over.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and they, I know they build they more into it in the second movie. Like the first movie, they're very much like they believe them almost right away. Like they come in and they see the house and immediately um, uh, Lorraine is like, I feel it. I feel it. You know, like they're they're very ready to believe them. I know like in the second movie, they're very much like we got to cross cross all our T's all our I's to make sure y'all are actually being possessed. So like, I guess I think it shows, though, that like they get a lot of people. Who are constantly like, you have to help us. And like, they can't help every single person. I think they even show them talking to another couple earlier yeah. in the movie where they're like, you guys just got some bad pipes. Yeah, they're like, it's a pipe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I also, like the pacing of this movie, because there have now been three of them, but it's about the Warrens pretty much. I forgot that like the Warrens don't show up at the parents' house until like halfway through the movie, maybe even a little farther past. And I really, really appreciated that pacing um, because we got a little – we got enough of the Warrens to understand who they are. And mm-hmm. we get to slowly watch this sort of haunting build up. And so by the time they come together, I think that's part of the reason why the Warrens are just all in like, oh, we believe you. Because there's like there's really no more time to like – to build yeah. it up, you know. I think – and again, I think that's that's um, really good direction because like at this point, they've convinced the audience – that something real is going on. So like, we're just going to trust that the spiritualists know what they're talking about. And we're just going to go, you know? Yeah. Um, But I really do appreciate that sort of slow pacing where we have the two different groups and we don't see them come together until halfway through. That was really effective to me. Also like, don't mess with a boarded up basement. If you move to a farmhouse and you find a secret room or a boarded up basement, just let it be. Just let it be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um I I wouldn't be scrounging around all the junk. But she was like, Yeah, that's a lot of junk for you to go through. I was like, Nope, let's get out of here. And I I love to like right whenever the Warrens get their ads like, so why didn't you guys move? <laughs> it's like you can't just pick up and move houses, bro. <laughs> Well, you
0: know, that's become kind of a cliche now because he's like whenever she's like, well, this entity has attached itself to you and no matter where you go, it's going to follow you. Um that used to be kind of like sort of a novel idea I think because that's a cliche, right? Every time you see yeah. a haunted house movie, it's like, well, why don't they just leave. <laughs> so yeah. there almost has to be that caveat kind of like in found footage where you have to explain why somebody's still hanging on to the camera. In Haunted House yeah. movies, it's like, well, we have to explain why you can't just leave. So that was, like, the thing in this movie is that, well, it's attached to you. And so no matter where you are gonna go, it's going to fall with you. Well, that doesn't make sense because Bathsheba is attached to the land. So theoretically, they should be able to leave. Which, okay, that is another thing I wanted to talk about is Bathsheba. Yes. Um, Bathsheba, horrifying character. Love it. Um, I believe played by the same actor who was the demon in Insidious, like the lipstick. Confirmed. Demon. I looked. Yes. <laughs> Super talented man. Um, but there's this casual mention. They talk about how Bathsheba lived on this land, and basically she was a Satanist and sacrificed Sacrificed her child to Satan. But they mentioned that she is the descendant of Mary Esty, who was someone who was accused in the Salem witch trials. And I was like, hold on. Back up. Back up the truck. Are you saying that there were actual witches in Salem and that this Bathsheba woman was descended from actual witches because we don't need to be putting forth that idea that there were actual witches in Salem. What is this? It's like one sentence. And I'm like, why did we make this connection?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, I guess it was 2013. We hadn't, (laughs) we hadn't, we didn't have our witch activists back then. (laughs) Where's Um, the Wiccan
0: representation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, and and, I mean, uh, forgive me. I really should have looked this up before, but Bathsheba, she was in the, Bible, right? Bathsheba is a, a biblical name. Yes,
0: it is. Bathsheba, I believe, is the one who tries to seduce mm-hmm. somebody. Wait, no, I'm thinking about a different person. Um, she the one with the pillar of salt? Uh, no, that was Lot's wife, who I don't think is given a name. Um, Let's see. Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam and was probably of noble birth. A beautiful woman. She became pregnant after David saw her bathing on a rooftop and had her brought to him. Yes. And then David killed her husband. So her husband would not find out that she was pregnant. So Bathsheba is the woman that David King David committed adultery with yes there we King go david was
1: not a good dude he had
0: some <laughs> character flaws we'll say that yes <laughs> so water, that's she, yes that's water. who bathsheba was but <laughs> cool name cool name <laughs> um so that so that's that's just a tiny thing but i think really what that is probably is like you know salem the salem witch trials are shorthand for spooky things in american history mm-hmm. and so i really think that's all that was, was just like, oh, let's yeah. throw the Salem Witch Trials in there because it's New England and it'll be cool. Um, but I was like, wait, this is muddying the water for me right now because I went to <laughs> Salem a couple years ago. And so I know a lot more now than I did then. And so I was like, what? But then I guess by that logic, you could also say Hocus Pocus is telling us the same thing and like, it's just fun. And like, let's not go down that road.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's another podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Witches can be fun. <laughs> um okay, I'm looking through my notes here because I have a lot of them. Um I think I've mentioned most of my religious things that I wanted to bring up. Um so the okay, so one of the this is another religious thing that occurred to me. I'm wondering, it is very, very popular especially since we're talking about exorcism, possessions are almost always women in our modern media. And I was like, why is that? I don't have an answer for it. Like, do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Um, In my experience, and um, it's funny, um, now I'm suddenly uh, flashback to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I think Mark Driscoll literally said that women are more likely to be possessed because they're weaker than men. Um, I think that's just, a general, that's just a general, like, I think belief that, and especially in a predominantly male run industry, um, you know, movies and television, the film industry, I think oftentimes, like you said, women are often portrayed as the ones who are possessed, but so many stories that I hear about possession, you know, like on, I listen to a podcast called like Supernatural, um, where I think I may have heard about the Robert doll, like whenever you mentioned it, um, it's, um, I don't know if you know who Ashley Flowers is. She has the Crime Junkie podcast. She also voices Supernatural. Um, almost all the possession stories I hear about are men being possessed. Men are little boys. So it's funny that like for some reason, like you said, women are the ones who are always portrayed as being possessed. Mm-hmm. And I think that it probably plays into like the damsel in distress trope. Mm-hmm. Um Women are all, like always just viewed as weaker, which means that for some reason we're more susceptible to demonic possession. And, um, well, I and will so say
0: – so the exor- – I think The Exorcist has a lot to do with it just because The Exorcist set this – set, you know, the template for lots yeah. of exorcism movies. But the interesting thing about that is the real case that The Exorcist is based on was a – it was a child, but it was a boy, not a girl – So um, we actually talked about that a little bit, how it was like a conscious choice in the book and in the movie to change it to a girl. And I think part of that was the relationship between the mother and the daughter – um, but then this movie is a little different in that there are five daughters. And so you might expect, especially because the little one has that imaginary friend. So I think we were supposed to believe that, like, the little girl was going to be possessed. And then, like, it's a little bit of a swerve to make it the mom, the adult. Yeah. You know? Um, so I do appreciate that little bit of deviation in this story. But, yeah, it's often a woman. Now, in um, have you seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose? no it's on my list i have not well in that movie and this is a, a teensy bit spoilery but not too bad the way that she is positioned um, is from a place of strength not from a place of weakness
1: oh well and i i will say i in my in my experience listening to like stories and retellings of possessions they also, they also will say like the ones who get possessed are the ones who are closest to God, you know, like God's closest followers, because it's, I guess the devil's way of trying to challenge God. Um, like a you joke know, like, situation. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite book in the Bible, by the way, weirdly enough, is Joe. I don't know why. <laughs> that, that
0: story is a beautiful tragedy. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful tragedy. Um... But yeah, so that's just that's just something I thought about. And another another question that I had, and again, this this one is just kind of stupid like the Annabelle doll, it doesn't really matter, but like why is this movie called The Conjuring? Are we conjuring? Is did someone do did someone conjure?
1: <laughs>
0: or is it just a scary name?
1: See, I I'm no expert, but I feel like James Wan is really good at just like somehow finding ways to make things work, even if they don't necessarily make sense. (laughs) I think the conjuring, conjuring in itself is just like a, a scary word, but yeah, I guess you're right. Like at no point is a seance held. They didn't ask for this. Like they literally just moved into the house and accidentally broke into the basement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I, I don't know. I guess it's like I said, like conjuring, like the conjuring, it's just such a, like, Ominous title for a movie. Yeah, um, I'm it's sure there's like Insidious.
0: Of- like Insidious mm. is a little more relevant to that story, but they're both just and then also malignant.
1: <laughs> malignant. I, I think that one was a bit more on the nose. Correct if I correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that one way more on the nose. Hundred <laughs> percent makes sense. Yes,
0: yeah. But like we've got The Conjuring, we've got Insidious, we've got Malignant, we've got Sinister. Like let's just pick a scary word and just.
1: Just slap it
0: on a movie, you know. Saw. Yeah, kind of like Saw. It just sort of works, I guess. But anyway, that's, like I said, that's really neither,
1: really neither here nor there. Um, And you raise a valid point, though. Like, why, why that title over, I guess, because The Exorcist and The Exorcisms were already taken?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess – and I don't know if this is – I don't think this movie was based on like a book or anything that already had a name,
1: so it works. And this one I, – I always get these confused. This one was or wasn't based off of the Amityville or that, – because that's – I know the Amityville – there is a different Amityville movie, but was this based off of the Amityville story or was that completely different? No, completely. two
0: okay. two different cases. So Amityville I, was a specific family in a specific case, and then this was a like the
1: parents were like you a said real the family. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You said that yeah. earlier. Yeah. I like I said, it's so easy for me to get them confused, but mm-hmm. um, just because it's more more haunting stories. But I guess maybe if I, I do, they just call it like the parent case whenever people refer to it. Like
0: Probably. there's not like a specific.
1: Um, Then, yeah, Yeah. I I couldn't tell you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I don't think that, like, any of the, like, Bathsheba stuff where there was, like, you know, a woman who lived on the land and killed her child. Like, I don't think any of that is real history. I think that's all narrative for the sake of this movie, which is a great – was a great device. I will say that. Um, So, speaking of all of that, like, the actual exorcism in this movie is, like – pretty harrowing. I remember the first time I saw this movie it was in a theater and I remember thinking like, "Man, this is such a solid ghost story. It's really spooky and I'm loving it." And then when we got to the exorcism scene in the basement, I was like like this is really making me uncomfortable. Like this feels very serious. And um since I've watched several exorcism movies lately, This one struck me, again, James Wan directing, super beautiful, because the way they light the basement is amazing, how it's just dark, and there are little hot spots, and whoever decided to put, like, the sheet over her body so you can't see her face was a stroke of genius, because it's totally different than anything we've ever seen. It's really iconic, and the whole basement scene is lit like a romantic, like, Baroque- painting and it's totally different from the rest of the house like the rest of the house is very warm very soft lighting but every time we go into the basement it's super stark super contrast and i love it and it, ma- it makes it original for sure
1: also i feel like and not to say that every exorcism scene starts out calm but i feel like most exorcism scenes that i've seen like in the past like the Exorcist, The the Last Exorcism, I feel like they always start, they're always on a bed, and it's mm-hmm. always, they usually walk in, I I think in The Exorcist by the time the priest started going in, Reagan was like screaming. But like, you know, like they always start like on a bed though, and it's usually, I feel like it starts out pretty calm and then it like, you know, kind of starts making its way up. And in this movie, The Exorcism, we're already up to ten. Like, you know, like she's already yeah. screaming, already been dragged around the place, and there's wind blowing all over the basement and stuff, and that's whenever Ed's finally like, all right, I, I have to do the sections on my darn self. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I and feel they're, like it out and they're totally body.
0: like, they're intimidated and they feel like they're sort of in over their head, but they just, cause it's sort of happening without them. It's kind of like uh delivering a baby. Like, you can't get the <laughs> doctor, you just gotta do it, cause it's happening now.
1: <laughs> yep. She's coming.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I will say too, like, I, I thought all of the stuff where, like, she's crawling under the house. Like, that was a little bit cheesy. But at the same time, again, like, really original. Like, that's not something we would expect to see. So that, that made for, like, some pretty cool scenes.
1: I I did think it was funny whenever um, – I forgot the guy's name, the camera guy, who's, like, looking for April the whole time, like, gives her position away to the whole house <laughs> as if the demon-possessed Carolyn isn't Can't literally hear it. All yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's under the kitchen! <laughs> dude, fired. <laughs> I know. I was like, dude, start running while you can. <laughs> Although I did
0: like, um, that was another moment of sort of levity when we get to see their little investigator folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they sort of had banter. And this is just like their job. And they're just here to sort of do their job. It reminded me of um, the two investigators in Insidious. And yeah. how like their relationship is so fun. Yeah. Um, Really appreciated that. Also, there was a little bit of Dead Man's Bones in this. Are you familiar with that band?
1: I've heard of it. but have not delved in.
0: So I just became aware of Dead Man's Bones, like, this year. It's Ryan Mm. Gosling's little odd music project, and it's all spooky. And one of – there was a Dead Man's Bones song in this. And I was like, this was 10 years ago. I had no idea. So, like,
1: that was a little bit of a fun moment also. (laughs) I love that Ryan Gosling has a little passion project that nobody knows about. <laughs> well, I say nobody, yeah. but like not as well known as everything else he does. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he's secretly a weirdo. Amazing. <laughs> that, that's most actors. They <laughs> they do a very good job at hiding it. <laughs>
0: yeah, for real, for real. But we're here for it.
1: We're all here for it. it. Oh, 100%.
0: Um, So as Bob would say, I think it's about time to land the plane. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else that we have not talked about that you wanted to bring up before we give our little final thought wrap up?
1: Um, let me, let me just. mm -hmm. Um, no, I think we really covered, um, I guess, I know that we like very briefly touched on it in like your last little thing. I love the relationship between the cop and like the videographer kind of like how you said, they're kind of like the, but I think it's funny though, because rather than two guys who are like very nerdy and into it, you have one guy who's like nerdy and into it. And you have the other guy who's like super skeptical. And then he's like, I saw you jump there a little bit and he's like, "Hmm." you know, like, and then eventually, you know, the cop comes around. But I, I, I did like, like you said, those brief moments of levity. Um, I know characters like that in these kinds of movies get a lot of flack. But personally, I'm very here for them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Plus, like, it provides a little bit of balance, too. You've got people from two different viewpoints that are both in this crazy situation. And so it's a little more accessible when you've got different points of view, you know.
1: Yeah. They're team, almost. It's nice whenever you have more than just, like, you have, like, the Warrens. But then on top of that, you also have, you know, they're people who are kind of experts in it. Mm Mm-hmm like the avengers assembling almost <laughs> but yeah that's um, all I-
0: all right well what's what's your uh what's your like final thoughts bottom line on the conjuring
1: um i think it is a wonderful little family film i'm kidding i i i i, I mean it's pg-13 right i I feel like this is it's something r. That, no. oh it's rated r oh my mm-hmm. Never mind. I guess my babies can't see it too soon. I don't have babies. I have pets. Well, Barry and Milo actually did watch with me and they stayed with me the whole time. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, you know, as we've kind of already mentioned, this movie is a classic. Um, and honestly the first time that I went into it, I was going in expecting it to not be in a weird way. I was expecting it to not be as good as it, as I, as I, as I ended up, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, just kind of given like all my qualms about ghost everything, I was really just not expecting to enjoy it as much. But as we've kind of already mentioned, like the Warrens are really kind of the centerpiece of this whole, um, I don't want to say Fran, well, I guess, yeah, the whole Conjuring, at least the Three Conjuring movies. Um, I guess you could say Annabelle's the center of the whole franchise, <laughs> given that she has all of her own movies. But I, I don't know. I think that at the end of the day, like, great acting. But on top of that you have the, the Warrens. Um I don't know. I there's there's not really much that I have to complain about this movie. So it's just I don't know. It it's one that I think now that I've watched it more than once, I don't it's not as much of a I don't know, it used to really scare me, honestly. Like even just thinking about watching it, even after I'd already seen it, I was kinda like, I don't know, man. Um but honestly now I feel like I can just comfort watch it even. <laughs> so
0: Yay! Growth. Growth <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, for me, um, I mean, like I've already said, this is a great ghost story movie that's actually scary um, and then has the unique twist of also being an exorcism movie, um, which makes it really unique. Um, and even though it's really solid, I will say that, like, there were things that surprised me that made me feel like this movie hasn't aged particularly well for, like, for me in particular. Okay. Um, like I said, the, the, like the Salem witch thing just brought me out of it just momentarily, which I didn't expect. Um, and it made it seem like just an easy bit cliche and also, um, also didn't love at the end when they basically use like Carolyn, like the mother's love as like the thing that overcomes the evil, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's not a particularly fun like trope for me. Although, I mean, the family is clearly very strong, so like it tracks narratively. But I'm like, can't we just like you guys are demonologists or like spe- can't you just overcome the evil? Like, do you have to like be like remember the day at the beach with your family? <laughs> you know, it's just yeah, it's just an extra layer we didn't necessarily like need. Um, and again. I know that some people don't really care for the squeaky clean portrayal of the Warrens, but it's just not a problem for me. In this movie, I am able to just take them as characters and just love the characters, um, and they are really what makes this whole engine run. Um, but regardless of like any criticisms I have, they're like I said, they're really very like personal nitpicks for me. Um, I think that The Conjuring is really it's a modern classic, and I think it really has earned its place alongside other. Timeless classics like The Changeling and The Haunting of Hill House, like those other like classic ghost stories. The Conjuring is right up there with those. Um, And also just on like a a larger spiritual note, I think part of the reason why – we've talked a lot about why the Warrens work, but I think – the reason why we are sort of able to put aside any real life controversy is because the Warrens represent the kind of spiritual authority that like we wish we could put our faith in, you know, like we want these people to exist. And I think um, those of us who are familiar with organized religion and the church, we do have at least a couple of those people, like regardless of the mess that we're like that person was the real deal, you know? Um, And so I think that's why people love the Warrens. People want to believe in the Warrens because it appeals to that ideal of what, what could be are those people that we do remember that are the positive spiritual, you know, guides in our life. Um, and that just makes me feel really good. So, Yeah. yeah. Um, so for people who like the conjuring, which is most horror fans, I would say, um, do you have any recommendations for similar media people should check out if they're digging on the conjuring?
1: Hmm. This, um, I guess, um, I don't know. I kept going back and I, I, anyone who's seen the, who's seen the conjuring, I'm assuming is already going to go and watch Insidious. Um, but I watched that for the first time this year, actually this past summer. So I, every time I was like, as I was watching the conjuring, I was like, man, like it makes me want to go back and watch Insidious. So I guess anyone who hasn't gotten out from under the rock and also watched Insidious, <laughs> which I know maybe not exactly what people would want to hear, but, um, and I know that you guys already talked about it, but, I guess the last exorcism is one that I would highly recommend. Um, it's it's really it's really good, and that one to me I I think does have a lot more levity though, um, just because it's a found footage movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't necessarily have I guess any other unless um, unless anyone who enjoyed our Zach Bagan's conversation <laughs> wants to watch that Tales from the Crypt episode um, Television Terror, which was. Season 2, episode 16. Highly recommend that one. That's a but great recommend. That's about all I have. Have you seen that one? Yes. Yeah. It's it, pretty good. It's pretty gruesome, actually. And it's starring um, Morton Downey Jr., who was a... Uh, he wasn't, like, a ghost hunter kind of guy, but I guess back in back in the day, he was, like, one of those sensational, like, Jerry Springer types, like, shock television kind of people. <laughs> so, yeah. Highly, highly entertaining episode. And ghosty. And ghosty. Um, So we've talked about,
0: I mean, a million things today. Um, Definitely you got to watch the Amityville horror movie. Both of them. The original and then watch the remake because they're both good. And I like them for different reasons. Um, Ryan Reynolds. Um, And then if you've not, (laughs) if you've not read the, the Amityville horror book and you're a book reader, like, Check it out. It's a fun read. It's a short little novel. It's a fun read. Um, the Changeling is another great ghost story that I had just watched for the first time like last year. And I'm like, clearly James Wan has seen this movie a million times. Oh. There's stuff in there that I'm like, this is this is insidious and this is The Conjuring. So, um oh.
1: It yeah. moved higher up my list. It's been on my list, but it just moved higher up. <laughs>
0: yeah. it's you can, When you watch it, you understand how the path went from that movie to, like, modern ghost stories, and it's great. Um, plus, it's just – it's got some, like, really beautiful scenes and, like, some dread and lots of, like, space where nothing is happening, but it's still creepy. Like, it's great. Um, also, The Others is another great ghost story. A little bit more modern, came out in the 2000s, maybe the 90s. Anyway, another great ghost story in this vein. Um, and like you mentioned, Demon House, which is Zach Bagan's documentary about the haunted house he bought. Um, That one is interesting. Um, And then I was uh talking about sort of the art direction of the basement exorcism scene. Mm-hmm. And there is an artist... Um, On Instagram, he goes by underscore McAllister and his art looks like that basement scene. He's a photographer and it's great stuff. So um, I will like tag his account in the show notes and also be sharing on my Instagram. But like the whole time I was watching that basement scene, I was like, oh, it reminds me of this guy's Instagram. Great photography. Um, so thanks again, Logan, for coming on. This has been so fun. You've been such a great first time guest and just remind folks where they can find your podcast.
1: Yeah. Um, so we're on Apple and Spotify right now. I really should get us on all the other podcatchers, but I know that you can definitely find us on those two. Um, uh, we're on Instagram at Ghoulish University and we're on Twitter at Ghoulish Uni. Um, if anyone ever wants to reach out to me there, I'm lurking on there, but I don't post on there a whole lot. Um, I haven't really gotten to the whole social media side of podcasting. But, Listen, it's, um, co- it's
0: a constant, it's a hamster wheel.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, Ghoulish University, if you just look us up on any of those uh, services, you'll be able to find me.
0: Awesome. Um Folks, you know, you can find me at Light and Shadow Pod, Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm not very good about plugging this, but I do have a Patreon. So if you like what I do and you want to throw me some bones, you can find me patreon.com slash light and shadow pod. There are a bunch of different tiers on there. Some of them include merch. If you want merch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, what's coming up next is not hundred percent solidified. Um, I'm taking a little break in December. There's not going to be a regular episode, um, but I am going to do a storytelling episode, a story time episode, which I have not done in a very long time. So I will be regaling you all with a spooky winter Christmasy tale in December And then I'll be back in January with regular episodes. Um, Like I said, this was the last of the exorcism little mini series. So it'll be a different topic. And then, of course, in February, it's Women in Horror Month, which is one of my favorite topics. So who knows? Maybe it'll be me and a guest. Maybe it'll be me and many guests. Um, I haven't decided yet, but it'll still be religion and horror in 2024. Um, So yeah, stay tuned. And until next time, folks, stay spooky.